what's happening guys happy friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome it's a massive weekend ahead and to celebrate it we've got a massive show for you today coming up today we're going to dive deep into ufc 259 and the disrespected jan blahovich as well as the cat and mouse game between peter jan and aljo I'll get into that, but first, I want to react to the big news of the week. Alistair Overeem and Junior Dos Santos both uh, released from the UFC. That's how the headline came out. What great memories, right? I mean, what great memories those two guys have left us. And you look at that and go, okay, where do they go from here? It's the same question you always ask when somebody gets released, which is, are they done fighting or are they done fighting here in the UFC? It's the first question you have and you don't always have the answer, but it brings you back to the same commentary, which is, what did they have to do? Who was left to fight? And we can talk about it till we're blue in the face, but there is nothing more important when I show up to work today than making sure I have a job to come to tomorrow. Nothing. No matter what good job I'm going to do today or what a bad job I'm going to do today, nothing will take the place on the level of importance than just making sure I can come back tomorrow, right? It's one of those things. And with Junior and Overeem, if we are attempting to answer the question of are they done fighting or are they done fighting here, we're still left with the question of what do we want to see them do? Who do we want to see them fight next? It's one of those questions that's so important to answer. You know, it's one of those things when Adesanya, as great as he is, and as big of a star as he is, Adesanya will never leave the octagon without lining his next fight up. He's never done it and he won't. And you might think that that's obvious and that's low-hanging fruit. And of course, Izzy's going to come back and he's the champion and he's a big star. That's not always going to be true. There will be a time, even in the great Adesanya's career, when people are going to wonder, is he going to be back? Does he want to come back? Do they want him to come back? Do we, the audience, have something left that we want to see him do? And I only bring that to you because we would be left with a question mark, by example, by example, with Junior Dos Santos. Junior did nothing between his last fight and now, which has been over a month removed, possibly closer to two months, in that his last opponent, who was Cyril Ghosn, has already competed again. He has nothing done, nothing between then and now to make us say, I want to see Junior fight and fill in the blank. And by the way, guys, I do not want to have to apologize for my words that could be mistaken for me kicking a guy when he's down. Not in the least. This is a former champion of the world who I have nothing but praise for, but I am attempting to use him who is an example that is relevant to prove a bigger point, which is if he's going to fight again and he's going to fight somewhere, who do you want to see him fight? And before you sit down and you start thinking about it and you start looking at rankings and you start thinking about who's available, if you do not have an answer off the tip of your tongue on the drop of a hat for any fighters who name who comes out of my mouth, that fighter has screwed up somewhere. If you ever have to sit down 
and get the rankings out and get a weight class chart out and start looking at records and make sure that they hadn't crossed paths somewhere along the way, maybe even on the regional circuit 10 years ago. If you have to do any level of research to answer the simple question of who do you want to see this guy fight, that guy has done something wrong. And it's a very tough question if you were to come back and go, well, no, listen, there's a market. There's a market in Japan or there's, a, there's an upcoming in Singapore. If you don't have the answer of who do I want to see this guy fight, not who can I get him fight, not who can I talk him into fighting, not who can I negotiate a fight with. I'm not asking you any question that it re requires any level of sophistication. Not, well, let me talk to the managers and let's see if we can work this out. And is it three rounds or five? I'm asking you the simplest question in the world, which is just simply, who do you want to see him fight? And if there is not an answer bursting off your tongue, that athlete has done something wrong. And that's not for the guys that were released, by the way. That's for the guys that are still around. And there is a reason that Adesanya, and part of it comes with humility. As great as Israel Adesanya is, and as much as you all respect him, there is a humility within him that he doesn't realize he's such a star. It's one of the reasons that he does so well. right? As soon as Adesanya starts believing the things that people are saying about him, it's going to be the beginning of the end. But he comes with such a humility that he is not certain that the UFC is going to want him back. Even though he's the champion of the world and he's made eventing shows, I only bring this to you because he will never leave the arena without lining up what's next first. And it's a very big deal because there's a, a meaningful difference in the athletes who have been released or the athletes who are on a chopping block or the athletes that get a call every four months because their contract says it. And you really need to ask yourself this, and it's a real tough question, which, by the way, I'm not Mr. Innocent of. I, I, I'm expressing this to you guys because I lived through it. Many of the lessons that I'm coming out to talk to you about from my perch over here is because I had made those mistakes myself, but I only bring to you, if you are ever a guy when they sit down to a matchmaker's meeting, okay, if Sean Shelby's got to go through a list of papers and see who he owes a fight to, a mistake has been made. There should always be a question. Hey, matchmate, who do you want to see so-and-so fight? Then it becomes a question, can I get them to fight them? Is it available? Is it within budget? Will they agree? Will this trainer agree? Will these managers agree? Can I get everybody to the table? Those are the good problems to have. If you can't answer the very first question, who do I want to see so-and-so fight? There is a huge problem. There's a huge mistake made from the marketing, but also of the eligibility of the fighters. So you just want to ask yourself that all the time. Do I still have an opponent? Do I say, if there's somebody out there, if there's not, can I get a little something going? Should I get a little something going? Should I plant some seeds? Should I leverage my social media? Next time I'm doing an interview, should I bring up so-and-so's name to test the waters and see what the reaction is? The answer to the question is yes. If there is ever a time in your career when the average fan, without hesitation, cannot state unequivocally who they would like to see you face, there is a problem. And nobody's safe. And if you think, well, I'm going to be humble and I'm a sportsman and I'll take on anybody they want, those are all very nice things to say. I'm sharing with you two of the best fighters who I've ever seen in my life in the most perennial weight class, that of heavy, who have headlined pay-per-views, who have main-evented television cards, who have been seen the world over, 
were both confronted with the same question, which is who do you want to see them fight? And there was not a readily available answer. And I realize we can go create one. I realize that's the job of the matchmaker. I realize you can create a story. That's the job of the promoter. I realize you can judge a fight. I realize that you can referee one. That's the side of the commission. I'm asking you straight up, who do you want to see so-and-so face? And if there is not an answer, a mistake has been made greatly. And I'm not just pointing the finger at the athlete here. Where was the manager to get in front of this? Did you think you were going to rest on laurels and you're going to be able to say that I used to be the champion or I used to main event shows? Is that what you thought? And by the way, really, I'm I'm not questioning these two athletes. They, They truly have given me some of the great moments I've ever seen in the sport. I'm using them as an example because it's current. I'm using I'm using Dos Santos and I'm using Overeem just because they're current examples that you would understand. But there are so many other guys on the card who cannot say much like Overeem that I main evented a pay-per-view opposite Brock Lesnar. They cannot say like Junior Dos Santos. I was the champion of the world. I broke records with Cain Velasquez winning a title on network television known as Fox. There is a number of athletes under contract, 556 to be exact, who will never achieve what Alistair Overeem achieved in K1, in Pride, in the UFC, who will never achieve what Junior achieved, which is the champion of the world and a sure lock for a future Hall of Famer. And they, even they who do not have the paper and the resume and the notoriety and the successes of those two athletes, they will still have the same problem, which is if somebody asks them, who do you want to see them fight next? There is no readily available answer, and they don't see that as a problem. I'm going to put it on the fighter. I'm going to put it on the fighter every time because he's the one with the mouthpiece and the short pants holding the microphone, so I'm going to put it on him. But the truth is, he's paying somebody else, known as a manager, who has somehow convinced him that because I can fill out paperwork and make sure signatures and dates are in the right place that I get 10% of the purse. Where was the manager on this? Where was the manager on the heels of defeat not lining up what was next or making it interesting? Just because you had a date on the contract and a signature on the bottom, that is not management. Where was the interviews? Who's controlling the social media accounts? Who's got the logins? Who's collecting 10% and all they're doing is putting a a date on a contract and a signature at the bottom? Where was the story? Where was the planning? You don't have to elect yourself a mayor of get the hint fill to understand if you've got a sliding record and you're over 40 years old, this is a really tough sport for you. But if you have a story to tell, there will always be an audience to tell it to. So where was the manager taking the money that is yet to tell this story? In two months, in two months since Junior's been in the ring last, where was the manager with their handout who has failed to tell the story or beg the question of who do you want to see Junior face? And the fighter's never going to get this right, guys. The fighter is always going to say the dumbest and most boring thing, which is whatever gets me to the championship, and I want the championship, and my best days are still in front of me. Man, I, Good job, fighter. No problem. Where was the manager? 
Where was the manager to sit them down and explain to them, if this is your goal, and it sure sounds like a lofty and wonderful goal, and I would hate to take that from you, but what are the baby steps that we're going to go to achieve to get you there? And it always bothers people when they want to admit the truth to this business, which is that there is a business here. It always bothers somebody when they're confronted with the reality that, yes, there are politics and policies in place. They love to do that, but they love to congratulate the fighter who's become a champ champ. Great job, champ champ, but it's not because of your left and right combo. Do you know how many fighters have been under contract and are currently under contract that could win the belt in two different divisions because they're simply the best? The answer to that question is no, you don't. No, you don't know, because there is not a competitive architecture in place where they could go out and do just that. There's not a competitive architecture in place like the NCAA or even the Olympic Games, where even if it takes you four years in between, you can enter this bracket, but come back and enter a different bracket. You have to play the game right now within the politics and the policy to be given the opportunity in the form of a contract to even walk in there to prove how good you are. Why was there not one specific name that we went after? Why was there not one specific story that we attempted to tell? It's a very fair question. I don't suggest for you you undercut or that you take your money back. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that you don't make the same problem twice. And to ask the manager flat out, what was your plan... Because now I really need, well, you know, first thing we got to do is get, uh, you know, get you signed to an organization. Okay, great. No, I don't agree. I don't agree that the first thing I need to do is get signed to an organization. I believe what I need to do is have somebody interested in my next fight. So who is that going to be with? We can find the organization. Who says that it has to go in this specific order? Well, get signed and make your way up the road. Who says that? You guys show me a court anywhere or a jury anywhere or a judge anywhere anything notarized, signed, and dated that says there's an order to this sport and I'll stand down. I'm here to tell you there is not. There is a belief and the belief is done by managers and the only thing that they were good enough is was to fool you that you need them. Where in the hell is the plan for who Junior Dos Santos fights next? You've had eight weeks. Not only have you had eight weeks, you have eight weeks with one of the most fearsome heavyweight fighters of all time who used to be the champion of the world. I could open my door right now, turn my head left and right, find a guy, bring him in here and tell you a story. And with that guy, I'm not going to have a former champion of the world. I'm not going to have a guy who's come through the ultimate fighter. I'm not going to have a guy who's going to be in the future Hall of Fame. I'm going to open my door and find a random person. I would bring him in the studio and I would tell you a story better than the story of which Junior Dos Santos managers have failed to tell in eight weeks with one of the greatest of all time. If you guys don't see the lesson in this, if you don't see the lesson in this, because it's, right, do you understand? What the manager is going to tell Junior today is, well, first thing we got to do, Junior, we got to see what's out there and get you in an organization. Excuse me, 24 hours ago, I had an organization. It was the one I used to be king of. So apparently your order of events of getting signed first is not the way we have to do things. As a matter of fact, whoever told you that it was? Now I don't have an organization and I don't have a platform, but boy, I'm really scratching my head because the message I could have got out yesterday and used is going to be a lot harder now that I'm sitting in purgatory. But there's 556 other athletes that sit in that same spot. 
And of those 556, not one of their managers is going to call them today and say, hey, by the way, you know what might be a good idea? To make sure that we line something up. No, the manager's going to go, you know what? We got a three-fight deal, and the history of this sport says that you generally got to use three in a, uh, lose three in a row to get cut. And you know what? You even won your last two. I think in a bad outing, you're going to get two more. I think 2021 is safe. We can kick this can until uh, 2022, and with a little luck in there, you bat one and one, and we can restart that three-loss clock. Who says? Who says any of that? I am sitting in Westland, Oregon right now with a very good microphone that I got from Best Buy and a level good camera that I ordered, used from a guy on Craigslist and felt like I got a good deal. And I'm just shooting with you. That's the truth. And that's my set. To this corner sits a man named Vince. And on Skype with me right now is my partner, Ryan. If the three of us took this Best Buy, this Craigslist, these two guys and open my front door, left or right, I could find you a body that I could bring in here, sit down, and tell you a compelling story as to who you would like to see him fight. I swear to goodness I could do it. If you challenge me, I actually will. And you know what? Whoever I go out and find is not going to have the lineage or the paperwork or the resume of the former goddamn champion of the world whose manager didn't think to get him a fight. Coming up in a moment, I'm going to focus on UFC 259's main event, but first a word from Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I've ever had. Guys, I live a pretty busy lifestyle, even during the pandemic. I'm grateful. MMA never really slowed down between the podcast, TV, work from my home studio, and on the road, coaching, family life. It's been challenging to maintain healthy nutritional habits. And to be honest, I've never really been a fan of eating my vegetables. I know that's not what you want to hear from Uncle Chael, but it's true. This is where Athletic Greens has helped me and hopefully can help you too. It's a daily all-in-one superfood powder. One scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotics, green superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase our energy, our focus, and help with digestive and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. That's why it works for me. It's hard to remember to take my daily vitamin and get enough veggies to keep old Uncle Chael up and running on all cylinders. Athletic Greens is my one-stop shop. It's simple, easy, and guys, it's delicious. For you athletes out there, this product is NFC certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on the taste. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system and during these winter months, it's offering my audience only one free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, you'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. So whether you or a family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash and join athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world 
who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com chael and get your one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. You'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. Adesanya is in a rather peculiar position going into Blahovich. I mean, it really is very peculiar. There's not a whole lot of things that add up other than the star power and the greatness that is Adesanya. Just by example, okay? Because I'm talking about Adesanya is now a 3-1 to favorite. Are you guys aware of that? When this fight started, he was a 2-1 to favorite. Many thought the line would go the other way. He went to a 2.5-1 to favorite, and as of 20 minutes ago, he's a 3-1 to favorite. The line is moving in the favor of Adesanya. But when I bring that to you, I had asked a question of you six weeks ago, which is, how is Francis Ngannou a favorite over Stipe when it's a rematch of a match in which Francis did not win a single round? And I was answered. I was answered in the comment section by you, Guy, which is just that the weight discrepancy is too great. And the one thing different about this second fight is that Stipe has lost 10 pounds. Now, that is not a practical answer, but I'm not asking for a practical answer. I'm just asking for an opinion as to the perception. And the perception that I heard from a lot of you, and I'm using, I'm using this small base as the larger fulcrum here, but was the mere fact that Stipe had lost weight. So if that perception is a reality for the heavyweights, enough to sway the odds on something that we've already seen, how would the same perception not work against Adesanya and the line? Particularly when the guess is now gone. Okay, now let me remind you, time-wise, when this fight got announced, people assumed Adesanya is going to grow into a light heavyweight. Somewhere along the line, and that's when the odds were 2-1, to one, somewhere along the lines, Adesanya comes out to tell us, no, as a matter of fact, am I not going to grow into it? I don't even believe in that. I don't know why anybody would change their physiology and not compete at the weight that they're comfortable. So we knew that he was very sincere. It was also a, uh, it was also a thought pattern that we'd never experienced before, but it was with a uh, level of athlete that we've also never witnessed before. The line moved again in his favor. So now imagine that you're Blahovich. You've beaten everybody. You've got a belt around your waist that says you're the champion of the world, and now they're going to bring you someone to fight that's smaller than you. Oh, and by the way, they're going to tell you three to one he's going to beat you. What an insult. Have you ever thought about it from that perspective? I mean, if you're ever looking for a little bit of edge, if you're ever looking for a reason to be pissed off, Blahovich has it. You're bringing me a smaller guy who's never fought in the division. Oh, and by the way, three to one, you're telling me that he can beat me? Does this 12 pounds of gold mean nothing? Does the path that I have gone mean nothing? Does a representation of my people who greeted me at the airport and had signs in my names and held me over their shoulders and were all proud of me mean nothing? You can bring in a guy who's smaller than me, who's never even competed in the division, and three to one, you're going to get the smart marks of this world to say he can beat me? It is an insult to the highest of levels if you've never thought about it in this regard. It's an insult that somehow we're not giving to Stipe, and I think that that's rightfully so. I don't know how you put Stipe against Engano in a fight that we've already seen that went all five rounds and not one of them went Engano's way. 
And now the odds have it in Engano's favor. I can see it because it's in front of me, but when I asked you guys just the base, why is this happening, you told me size. But you didn't apply that same logic to Adesanya, who's in the exact same spot except only smaller. It's a very confusing thing. And the same thing comes with what happens if Adesanya wins at 205 pounds. What happens? And I understand that the great escape here has been to get Adesanya and John Jones together, but we're only as good as the information that we're giving. And the information that we're being given right now is that John Jones is going to go to heavyweight, which means we can't get Adesanya and Jones together, which begs the question, where does Adesanya go? Does he stay at 205 pounds or does he vacate and go back to 185? Does he vacate 185 and stay at 205 pounds, or does he become the first male athlete ever to do both at the same time? And I have to say male athlete, because Amanda Nunes is the one and only champ champ to actually then defend in both weight classes simultaneously. It's extremely relevant what I'm saying to you. And it's extremely relevant because it's a decision that should things go out of Sonya's way, it's a decision that will have to be made by Dana White. Why is it Dana White's decision? Because nobody at 185 is calling for that fight. And oddly, nobody at 205 is either. So you have a little guy coming up to your weight class who the odds makers say can beat your champion, but you don't even have one of the boys within your own division to stand the ground of the division. You're wondering why the people that are betting at the window are going against your division. Your champion, John Jones, left it, and not one of the boys in it is willing to put his foot down and defend it. It's an unhonorable division. One that I lived in and one that over time is my favorite division through history. It's not today. You have a champion who people don't think can beat a small guy. And you have nobody within the division willing to stand the ground and adhere to the insult that you're being given, which is that a small guy can come up and kick all your asses. So we don't know what will be next for Adesanya with a victory. We will know when Dana decides, but the large part to put the wind in that sail will be Adesanya because Adesanya has the sense that God gave geese. Adesanya in the ring will go after somebody. He will steer the conversation. He will point the cannons, and we can only guess if that's going to be at 185 or if that's going to be at 205. Or with this crazy son of a bitch, maybe it still is John Jones and heavyweight. He likely is not going to give John any way out of this fight other than to come out publicly and say, I don't want to fight you. That is like, that's my guess with Adesanya, but I shouldn't have to guess. There should be a row of 205-pounders that are calling his name, and there should be a row of 185-pounders that are calling his name, with all of them knowing the same thing, which is none of us want to do it, but only one of us is going to get called, which means the rest of us don't have to do it. So we can just look like the bully on the playground. I understand a lot of you guys don't want to fight Adesanya, and I understand that that's going to be a real hard night out, and I understand that it's likely to be a painful one because he's more likely to kick you in the head than he is to put you in an armbar. I understand all of those things, but only one of you can get the job, and all of the rest of you get to look cool. I lived through this. I lived this experience. I will tell you guys, I fought for five world championships in my career. I don't say this to shine my own wheels, but let me to shine my own wheels just to tell the story. I fought for five world championships within my career, okay? In the world of walking around the streets, of having people come up to me and pat me on the back, in the world of Chael's a cool guy, I have never experienced anything like I did when in the same three-week period, I had Rampage Jackson publicly 
turn me down. And I had John Jones publicly turn me down. They publicly said we will not fight him. So I did nothing. I went into no training camp. I broke down no footage. I signed no contracts. I did nothing. I fought for five world championships. I did nothing. And people, I'd never been a cooler guy. I never got more cool guy credit of people coming and treating me different and showing me a respect and patting me on the back. And I remember always taking it and always being very gracious. But in my heart and mind going, why, why am I possibly being congratulated here? I fought Paulo Filo, who was 16-0. and 0. I fought Anderson Silva twice. I, I mean, I could go through the list. I'm going, why did I get credit for this? I still don't have the answer for you guys. I don't have the answer of why I became so popular and why I did autographs and the, and the line waiting to get to jail became longer than it ever was. I don't know. I don't know. But it did. There was something about that. There was something that the fan and the audience and my peers appreciated in my willingness, whether I did it or not. Maybe I was the one bluffing. Maybe I was the one that didn't want any part of Rampage or I didn't want any part of John Jones. Maybe I was. You'll never know. We'll never know. Publicly, somebody got the job. Publicly, they blinked. Publicly, I got the credit. I'm sharing with you guys what happened. I'm not coming to you as some deep level of psychologist to share with you why. This was a real thing that happened in my life. And I've been given more opportunities in life just for being willing to do something that other people didn't want to do. I realize it could be really cool job or something cool. You think, well, gee, I'd sure like to do that. But there was a lot of other ones that I that people didn't want to do, but it still needed to be done. And it just makes me beg the question, why is nobody coming after Adesanya? The 205-pounders have no honor. They have no honor. They have a guy who's never competed in their division that doesn't even weigh the limit of their division, who is a 3-to-1 favorite over their champion, and nobody is standing at the door to meet you. You want in this house, you come through me. Everybody in the world knows that that's pride. These are cage fights. Nobody's called him out. A top contender who's a good friend of mine named Glover Teixeira has not called him out. At 185 pounds, they're all hoping that Adesanya doesn't return. And John Jones' only reason to get away from him is I've left the weight class. Well, he's coming after your ass. That answer worked once. I don't know that the answer works twice. And I'm not speaking to whether John can beat Izzy or Izzy can beat John. That's between those boys and the unified rules. I'm here to share with you as a guy who lived that road. If I say I'm willing to do it and this other guy says that he won't do it for any reason, I'm going to get the credit. And it's a very interesting spot. And the 205-pounders can hang their hat on, I've got too much honor and too much sportsmanship and let the rankings speak for themselves. You can do that. But you're not fooling anybody. You're not going to have what Adesanya has, which is a championship. You're not going to have what Adesanya has, which is an ch- uh, opportunity for double championships. You're not going to have what Adesanya has which is pay-per-view numbers and buy ratings and a main event spot. You're not going to have what he has unless you're willing to do what he is willing to do. And I bring this to your guys' attention because as much as you like Adesanya, if you're not studying him very closely, Adesanya is a student of the game. He studies this. The sport is about the punches and the kicks. The game is about something else. I cannot get a fighter to study the game. I can't even convince them to hire a manager who studied the game. I just can't do it. 
I fall on my face every single time and I end up looking like a fool. But if you listen to anything that I say and you're not willing to do the hard work and you're not smart enough to hire the right guy, let me save you a whole lot of time. You can skip a lot of classes and not read a lot of books and still do okay on the test if you just listen to one thing. Study. I didn't say watch. I didn't say copy. I didn't say observe. I said study. Israel Adesanya. So much of the focus of UFC 259 is on Yon and Izzy, but I want to take the time to break down the bantamweight title fight between Peter Young and Aljamain Sterling. Peter Yon was talking to uh, Helwani. He was talking to Ariel, and he was talking about his fight with Aljo coming up, saying what he believes Aljo's strategy is going to be. And I want you to hear what it was, because it's very funny. He says... Aljo is either going to be looking for a takedown or he's going to be scurrying. He's going to be running around or looking for a takedown. It is the game plan of a mouse. <laughs> That's the funny part. I've never heard a cage fighter compare another cage fighter, let alone his opponent, let alone the number one contender of the world, to a mouse, to a game of cat and mouse. But it is that's not incorrect, I mean, in many ways. If you see cat and mouse, yes, it's here, and then all of a sudden it's over here. Then they see see each other, and they get a little bit closer. Then it's over here again. So would it be the worst plan by Aljo? And that takedown, when Peter Yan was saying, he, he didn't say Aljo was going to come in and start fighting and then move away. He said he's going to come in and look for a takedown and then scurry away. And that takedown, at least for me as the viewer, that is the key to this fight. If Aljo comes in and fails at getting that takedown, uses a lot of energy, and isn't prepared for the in-between, which is that clinch in that dirty box. Just goes right back to the outside and comes and looks for it again. It goes to the outside and looks for it again. He's never going to find it. So it's so one thing that, that wrestlers, no matter how many years they wrestled or how many years they have of experience trying to make MMA wrestling work, you have one shot, and that shot isn't to get the guy down. It's to close the distance. Once you close the distance, you now have three or four or five opportunities to take him down. But many guys who haven't perfectly transitioned their wrestling into MMA will always use it for step one. There's space. Nope, I'm a wrestler. There's no space. But that's also not a takedown. That first shot gets you close. That second shot off-balances him. That third shot lifts him and puts him on the mat. It's called chain wrestling, and you have to put it together. And the only reason I bring it up is because if Yon is correct and that Yon can stop Aljo's first on attack and it makes Aljo run around, reset, and come in and try again, right? I mean, that's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Now, on the other hand, if Aljo comes in, one, doesn't have a lot of resistance, gets the takedown, or two, just goes ahead and, and uses the fact that he took distance away. There's a lot of damage Aljo can do from right here. A lot of hanging on the neck, the old hockey, the old Randy Couture, the pushing and the pulling. Then you get the knee bumps working in there. Then you get the tie clinch. You sink a couple of knees to the stomach, come off with an elbow, you're back into your tie-up, but you took all of that space away. That's what the wrestlers do. The misconception is that wrestlers go out and take people down. False. What a wrestler does is he goes out and he takes space away. So if Peter Yawn is right that he can stop, that he can shoo Aljo out of the way and force Aljo to reset. Yeah, we could go do that for 25 minutes and there's going to be 
no progressions by Aldo. Aljo. But if Aljo comes in to take the space away, which is what he's trained to do his entire life, Jan's going to have big problems. And not to mention if Aljo just stays in that range right here on him, on him, on him, underhook, pushing him, overhook, pushing him, wrist control, find out where that cage is, shove him into that. If he stays there for 25 minutes, Aljamain Sterling leaves your world champion. And I am very curious on that takedown. I mean, I have watched Aljo, whether it was with ground and pound or even just most recently and with Sandhagen. But when he gets on top, he's a pain in the ass. It's a huge problem. But if you frustrate any wrestler and you take them off this idea of, oh my God, I had to get on top and I'm two rounds in and I haven't got there yet. I guess I'm not going to win. Nah, that's the good wrestlers. And Aljo falls into this category, but the Cejudos of the world, the Chris Weidmans of the world, the Randy Couture's of the world. It wasn't just about getting that takedown. Wrestling is used to take away the distance, take that space away, have your hands on a guy. The positional change may or may not happen. I only bring this to your attention because I like a lot. I liked that Jan said he's going to fight like, like Cat and Mouse. I, that was just cute and clever for me. The other side of it is, Aljo, don't give him that space. Those years of wrestling you used is not to get a takedown and don't ever fall for the fact that it is. You use that time to wrestle to learn one thing, and that is to take space away. The better wrestler and the one who's going to win the wrestling portion of this fight is the one that's going to take space away, not the one who has to get on top. In a second, I'm going to talk about one of the most exciting fights on UFC 259. But first, a word from DraftKings. UFC 259 is this weekend and is sure to be packed with action with three title fights taking place in one night. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official betting partner of UFC, is putting you at the center of this weekend's title fight with 100 to 1 odds on either fighter landing a punch during the contest. Pick either main event fighter to land a punch during this weekend's UFC 259 bout at DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds. Bet just $1 on either fighter to land just one punch. And if that happens, you will cash in $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is at DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Guys, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL when you sign up for your turn at $100. Turning $1 into $100 if either Izzy or Yawn lands a punch. Guys, can I say that any clearer? Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. Use the promo code CHAIL to turn $1 into $100 if either fighter lands a punch for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER 
or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. You want to know the fight that's going under the radar? This is a loaded card, but you want to know one that's underappreciated? In my opinion, is Drew Dober versus Islam Makhachev. For a lot of different reasons, and starting with this, Dober's a tough night out for anybody. Dober's had some great moments. He's wildly exciting, and I don't know what his weaknesses are, right? I think you guys would agree with me. It's not like, oh, just go take him down or uh, go stand with him. He's a sucker for a jab. Like, you know, he's kind of a, a handful to deal with any way that you want to do it. Not to mention he's a strong guy and he's an explosive guy which means it doesn't matter what round or what minute the fight's in, you've got to worry about him the whole time. It's not, okay, once we pass eight minutes, this guy starts to fade. Or, okay, once we're in the last two minutes, this guy is going to be dead. Right? Dober's going to be on you all night long. And then you have Islam. And Islam appears to be one of these guys whose names you'd better get used to. Now, Islam's rise to stardom is by what's called the vouch method. Islam has guys vouching for him that make him pretty interesting. Islam has guys vouching for him that have a lot of credibility. He has guys vouching for him that have you turning your head because Islam himself is not doing that. That's okay. This has been done before. This has been done many times before. And you never know what's going to work until it works. Everybody will tell you this can't be done. And then once you succeed, they're going to ask you how you did it. Just the way that it goes. But I can remember when Glover Teixeira was coming through. And Glover came through the vouch method. But he had never been in the organization, and he had Chuck Liddell, amongst the greats to have ever done it, vouching for him, saying, hey man, you got to look in this direction, there's more to this guy, train with him all the time. If you thought I was good, make sure you're paying attention. It was this really interesting thing, where Chuck Liddell himself vouched for and got you interested in Glover. Now, I bring that to you because I'm trying to, I will tell you other things that worked that you never would have perceived. By example, Stipe Miocic, who goes down as the greatest heavyweight to have ever done it and is only working to outdo his own records that he set. Stipe Miocic couldn't even get an opportunity. He had tried absolutely everything, and one night after he wins a fight, he yells, he breaks bad, on Dana. He starts yelling at him from the octagon. It got Dana's attention. Dana actually went to the press conference and said, you know what, I don't like being yelled at by a guy that big. I'm going to give him the fight. It was one of these funny moments, but it also worked. And I remember the same goes with Khabib. Khabib had won a whole bunch of fights. And Khabib was so dominant. Khabib has more 10-8 rounds than any athlete in history. Are you ready for that? I've told you guys this many times, but I don't ever see this caption out there. It's like I'm the only one that has ever observed this fact. Khabib has more 10-8 rounds than any combat fighter ever, which ends the debate on who the most dominant is. You can always have fun with who the greatest is and who the most successful was or who the most fun. You can have all those, and they're very hard to quantify. When you have more 10-8 rounds, which signifies dominance... And anybody to have ever done it. Khabib is the most dominant fighter ever. But I bring that to you because that wasn't working. Khabib had the hat and he had the gimmick and, and he, he had the mandate of, of a whole lot of people. But it wasn't working. And Khabib was begging for it and Khabib was demanding and he was out there beating people up and he was out there 10 aiding and decisioning it, but it wasn't working. And one day, Khabib refused to leave T-Mobile Arena. He refused. 
I don't know if you guys remember this. He refused to leave and he went and found the nicest car in the parking lot that was still left that belonged to Dana White. Khabib didn't actually know that. Khabib's deduction was that's a really nice car and it's still here. I bet you that's Dana's. Turned out Khabib was right. Took his hat off, put it on the hood, sat down on the car, took a picture of it, put it out on social media and said, I am waiting. Dana gave him the fight. I'm sharing this story with you because many of you, if I was to tell you to go, go set a fake wig down on the boss's car, you'd probably go, ah, I don't, don't want to scratch it. I don't know where the boss is parked. I mean, you, you probably wouldn't think that's going to work. I'm here to tell you that it did. If you were in the octagon and you thought it was a good idea to yell at Dana, you probably just got some really bad advice. But I'm here to tell you that's what Stipe did that finally got him noticed. So some of these things don't ever work, and it's always hard to build a star when you're in the presence of other stars. I watched more media people along the way, on the night that somebody retires, act as though there's this gray cloud over the sport. Oh, Ronda Rousey's gone. What are you ever going to do now? Oh, Conor McGregor may not come back. What are you ever going to do now? And it's one of these things where you're going to move forward, but the problem with having Conor and Ronda on the docket and not building anybody else around them is they suck all the air out of the room. That's the part that nobody seems to understand. It's very hard to have multiple stars. It's very easy to have a star. You'll have people sit down and try to work out the recipe and who can do it and what promoter's the best and this guy sure did a great job. What they're not understanding is you can only have so many at one time because there's only so many questions and so many cameras and that lens can only go in, in one direction so often. That's where the competitiveness comes from, but it comes within that era. There has never been an era where there is not a star that is fictional. The fans are looking to latch onto somebody. The media is looking to cover somebody, but they only have to write so many words and they only have so many hours of airtime. They don't have to do it for you. That's where the competitiveness comes in. So when you have a major star like Khabib, it's very tough for somebody like Islam to get the shine when Islam wants to be respectful of his mentor, of his real-life hero, of his real-life coach who happens to be in the same division. It's very tough. It's just one of those things. So now when Khabib steps aside and Khabib vouches for, you'll see this in politics all the time when some candidate gets beat, but they throw their support behind. And as small of a movement as it is, it still matters. It still matters to the candidates that are left in the race to have uh, the endorsement of one of the candidates have left. That's all that Islam is getting right now, except he didn't ask for it. Khabib's doing this all on his own. Khabib is saying some very wonderful things. Khabib is attaching his own reputation too. It's one of those spots where it is the slow rise. The vouch method is the slower of the methods. But when you start to look at the record of Islam and you start to look at the level of competition, it, it is a slight adjustment upwards each time. There's a lot of the really smart guys that are staying away from him. I remember about two years ago, the only guy willing to fight him was Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee willing to fight anybody, but I mean, that was the time. You couldn't get one of the top draws. Kevin Lee's going, man, what's all the top? Come, I'll fly to Russia and fight this guy right now. But that was a period of time Then Kevin hurt his knee. I share that with you because Drew Dober is a tough night out. It is a slight elevation in competition. But it's still one of these things where what is it going to take? Because once Islam has the skills, which he may or may not have right now, he may or may not have them right now, he still has to get the contract. He still has to get one of the top guys to come out. He still has to get the media to stop what they're doing and focus on.
it would seem to me that Islam is checking every box. He's checking. He's going the slow method. He's going the slow method. That's okay because we've already done a lot of time. Even on the slow path, when you're marching up the hill one step at a time, you're going to get to the top. And I just think that Islam's really approaching it. But I bring Islam's name to you, not just to shine Islam's wheels. I want to bring some attention to Drew Dober. If you're looking for an upset, and I'm not willing to go as far as to say I'm predicting it's going to happen. My, my pick is Islam, but... If you're what they call a value buyer, when you're talking about handicapping, you want to give a good look to Drew Dober right here. Drew Dober has stubbed his toe before. He's fallen down in there before, but he's fallen down with people that have a different skill than what Islam brings to the table. Matchup-wise, this one's very compelling. Islam has that intangible, which is he's got the pace, much like his mentor Khabib. I understand these things. I understand why Islam's the favorite. But... On a night that's decorated with champions and even decorated with championships, there's one fight. I'm a fight fan guy. I know this is true. There's one fight that you designate ahead of time, the one that you're going to go to the refrigerator on. This is the one where I'm going to go get more ice for my soft drink on. I understand that. I'm encouraging you to not do that during Islam and Doma. Alright guys, that's it for today's show. While you're watching the fights on Saturday, do me a favor. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review of the show, good or bad. Enjoy the fights. I'll be back on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.